This episode, episode 160 for the love of the game on the Believe Podcast Network is brought to you by Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your sports betting needs and your sports info. Find the latest odds, news, and sports development, including this year's NBA Finals, the NHL Conference Finals, Let's Go Rangers, might I add, Major League Baseball, the latest fight news, and all that good stuff, you can find it at Bet Online. Head to the website and use your mobile device or your desktop, whichever you prefer. Sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. With that said, episode 60, for the love of the game, let's get this work. Let me tell you, I'm out here from a very far away place. All a chance to be a star. No more parties in LA. Please, baby, no more parties in LA. Uh, no more parties in LA. Please, baby, no more parties in LA. Uh, no more. Los Angeles. Baby, you forget your Ray-Bans And my sheets still orange from your spray tan It was more than soft porn for the gay man She remember my sprint and said I was in the great fan I'm well cutie, I like your bougie booty America by do me, well, let's make a movie Hell, you know my repertoire is like a wrestler Welcome back, welcome back You know what it is, episode 160 for the love of the game With your boy Aaron Tobin Hess Back in the saddle, back behind the mic Got a lot to talk about Let's start with the New York Rangers after looking like world beaters in the first two games of the series against Tampa Bay, the two-time defending champions, Tampa Bay Lightning, well, the Rangers came back down to earth. And now the series is tied 2-2. Game four, last night they got absolutely smacked 4-1 in Tampa. They looked lifeless. But the golden opportunity to really step on the neck of the two-time defending champions game in game three. The Rangers had a 2-0 lead in Game 3, looking to go up 3-0. A terrible third period, absolutely terrible third period. Jacob Truba was a very feast or famine, and he's been that way in this series. Takes a, a bad penalty in the third period, leads to the Steven Stamkos goal to tie the game. Then Alex Kalorn, who had not scored a goal in the entire postseason, ends up scoring with 42 seconds left to give the Lightning a 3-2 lead in that game. Just a brutal loss for the New York Rangers. And now, after having a golden opportunity to be up 3-0 going into Game 4 and have complete control of the series, the Rangers now find themselves in an absolute dogfight at two games apiece. I think this series is going 7. I mean, you knew that Tampa Bay wasn't just going to go lightly, but if the Rangers end up losing this series, Game 3 will be an absolute kick in the nads and a reminder what could have been for this team. Again, the Rangers have home ice. They have home ice advantage. You take care of business at home. You go on to the Stanley Cup Finals, and it doesn't matter. 
But game three was absolutely brutal. I mean, Igor Shesterkin stood on his head. He was sensational. The Rangers got outshot basically two to one, which is not a formula for success. And yeah, game four was was not pretty from the get-go. But 2-2. 2-2. Best of three. Let's see what happens. I'm still confident in the Rangers' ability to win. But man, the Tampa Bay Lightning just won't go away. And yeah, that's what happens when you're two-time defending champs and really, really good. You're not going to go away quietly. So game five tomorrow night. Let's go Rangers. Let's see what happens. But man, looking back at game three is a little, little rough. The state of baseball in New York, it's as good as it's been in a long, long time. The Yankees and Mets are both rolling. The Yankees are 40 and 15 right now, the class of the American League. Aaron Judge is the MVP of the American League right now. It's not particularly close. Absolutely crushing it this year. Let's hope this continues. Going to talk more Yankees later on in the show with a recurring guest. And for the Mets to be playing this well, with Jacob DeGrom hurt, Max Scherzer hurt, Tyler McGill hurt. It's just ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. You can tell that having Buck Showalter as manager has made a major impact on this team. Francisco Lindor is starting to hit after a slow start. Pete Alonso has been great. And the Mets are really, really good. Really, really good. Good time for baseball in New York. The last time we had a realistic chance of having a Subway Series World Series was in 2006. Neither team ended up holding up their end of the bargain, but this year it's a very, very distinct possibility. As for the NBA Finals, a couple of thoughts on the NBA Finals quickly. Series is tied to one. Steph Curry has been absolutely sensational. The best player in the series by far in both games. He's making this vaunted Celtics defense scramble like no other player has so far in these playoffs. I mean, Giannis had three 40-point games. Jimmy Butler had a couple of really big games in the Eastern Conference Finals. But still, the scrambling nature of this Celtics defense, I mean, they haven't had to do that against Giannis and against Jimmy Butler as great as they've been. But as great as he is, and yeah, and I was hearing before the series that Marcus Smart has had a lot of success against Steph Curry, locking up Stephen Curry. Yeah, I, a lot of Boston media folks out there tell me about this. I'm not so sure about that. Not so sure. The, the difference is it's not even Steph Curry. The difference is in this series is in game one, the combination of White, Smart, and Horford for the Celtics shot 13 of 23 from three. In game two, they were garbage. Sometimes it's that simple. I mean, Draymond Green said it after game one. Sometimes it's that simple. I just, I don't trust them to ever have a game like that again, the Celtics. I mean, this series is incredibly interesting in a sense that both teams have major flaws, but both teams have incredibly high ceilings. Like, I think having Gary Payton the second back for the Warriors has made it a little bit more difficult for the Whites the smarts, the Horfords to just get wide open threes because he can guard Jalen Brown. He can guard Jason Tatum at stretches, even though the size difference is, a, is stark in terms of height. He's been a major cog in this series, especially since Klay Thompson has struggled. I mean, he's been up and down. I think if the Warriors get one giant Klay Thompson game, like vintage 
pre-injury Clay Thompson game, I think they're going to win the series. I think they just need one because with the way Steph Curry is rolling and the depth that they have, they can plug in GP2. They can plug in Otto Porter at stretches. They can plug in Jordan Poole, who at the end of, you know, middle end of the third quarter in game two was absolutely sensational doing his best Steph Curry impersonation. I think the Warriors just need one giant Clay Thompson game for them to get through and win this thing. Jalen Brown for the Celtics continues to confuse me, even within a game, let alone from game to game, even within a particular game. Take game two, for example. I Sometimes he looks like young Tracy McGrady. Sometimes he looks like he shouldn't even be in a starter in the league. I, I just can't get a hold of him. He continues to confuse me. The turnover issue. The turnover issue. For the Warriors, well, it's always been there, even when they were winning titles at their highest level. And this team isn't as, you know, high a level team as teams in the past. I mean, let's take away the Kevin Durant Warriors for a second. Even 2015, 2016, I'm not sure this team right now is as good as those teams. But even throughout that stretch, the Warriors have always turned the ball over, but they have the shot making to overcome it. They just do. They, the level of shot making that the Warriors have at their apex is good enough that the turnovers, I don't want to say don't matter, but they matter a lot less. For the Celtics, they don't have that luxury. And the Celtics have been very loose with the ball, and it's come back to bite them in the butt. The Celtics cannot turn the ball over as much as they do and expect to win this series. I mean, Jason Tatum right now is like turning the ball over at a ridiculous clip. Ridiculous, ridiculous clip. That's not a recipe for success for the Boston Celtics. Draymond Green, after being dreadful in game one, was absolutely as alpha as it gets in game two. Just completely alpha that game. Physically, talking trash, got a lot of leeway from the referees uh, on fouls and on technical fouls. It's going to be interesting to see how game three is refed, considering how game two unfolded. If Draymond Green is going to be as effective as he was in game two throughout the series, I think the Warriors are going to win. Ultimately, I think the Warriors win in seven. I just don't see a team with Jalen Brown as their second best player winning a finals series. I just don't, especially considering that Jason Tatum, as good as he is, isn't as good as Steph Curry. He's not on that level. And there's got to be a lot of Marcus Smart I've always been a Marcus Smart skeptic. You're depending on, you know, guys like Al Horford, who's, you know, shown flashes in these playoffs of being really awesome, but he's also pretty old. I just like the Warriors a little bit more. Warriors and seven is my pick. One last thing on Jason Tatum. All right. This obsession with Jason Tatum and Kobe Bryant is getting a little weird. All right. It's getting a little weird. And frankly, it's corny. Okay, I understand they had a relationship and and the tragic passing of Kobe Bryant affected a lot of guys, a lot of guys because Kobe had an impact on a lot of dudes. But the text message saying I got you to Kobe's number before that game in the Eastern Conference Finals, that was just weird. And it was weird how it was broadcasted and celebrated across social media. I mean, Bleacher Report, ESPN ate that shit up. It's just corny. It's corny. And then. There's the famous picture of Kobe Bryant having his pre-draft workout wearing Celtics gear because he worked out for the Celtics. 
and Jason Tatum was trying to recreate that photo. I mean, it's just weird, man. Like, and the shit's corny and like just enough, enough already. I know, again, Kobe affected a lot of guys, but it's been a little while since, and we shouldn't forget Kobe and his impact, but right now it's just corny, man. It's just corny. Enough already. And shame on the media outlets for celebrating it and saying things like goals, respect, like enough already, just enough. It's played out. Find the new slant. Anyway, with that said, we're going to bring on a recurring guest to talk about the Yankees and a little bit of playoff hockey in just a matter of moments. This episode of the For the Love of the Game show on the Bleep podcast is brought to you by AutoApprove. AutoApprove is an online service that makes vehicle refinancing easier and faster. AutoApprove connects vehicle owners with a network of top credit unions, banks, and finance companies to find the best available interest rates. That helps you handle the paperwork, simplifying the vehicle refinancing process from the beginning to end and putting money back in your wallet. Take your tag light to the next level with more money in your pocket. Not only will you save thousands on your auto loan with working with AutoApprove, but for all listeners that refinance through AutoApprove, they will send you $100 cash to your mailbox. That's right. They'll not only help you lower your monthly payment, but if you use AutoApprove promo code slash believe, they'll send you $100 back cash back. To find out how much you can save and claim your $100 cash back again, go to AutoApprove.com slash believe. AutoApprove, save money on your car loan. The Yankees, as I mentioned in the monologue, are 40 and 15. I don't think any Yankee fan, even the most optimistic Yankee fan, thought that they'd be 40 and 15. So to talk about it, we had to bring on a recurring guest who loves the Yankees, Mr. Andrew Sender. Andrew, what's going on, bud? How uh, how pumped are you about this Yankee start? This is crazy. Uh, I'm good. I mean, it's it's exciting times in uh, New York for the Yanks. I mean, they look uh, they look pretty special. And it's I know it's early in the season, but you know you can really see some sparks of like greatness with these with this team, the grittiness, and honestly, just the sheer talent that they have. It's it should be a really fun summer and hopefully a fun uh, October. So right off the bat, right? So the hot start. I mean, did you think you were going to get to this hot start? Right off the bat, I mean, I don't think any Yankee fan, even the most bullish, were, was this optimistic, right? Like, this is this is beyond any of our expectations. I mean, yeah, this is like, if no one could have predicted this, I mean, everyone, every Yankee fan, including me, thought that the team got worse from last year. And, I mean, on paper, they did. So, this is a shock to all of us. But, you know, this is, you know, it's, it's a hot stretch. It could have happened last year at the start of the season. It could have happened at the beginning of the season. So, you know, it's it's we really don't know anything yet. It's too early to tell. But yeah, I mean, I'm beyond shocked at the hitting, the pitching. Not really. I did honestly believe that this was a great pitching staff, and I did say at the beginning of the year that this would probably be the best pitching staff I've ever seen in my lifetime. Because this is you did five say guys. Yeah, yeah. No, this is five guys that can really shove. If someone were to tell me at the beginning of the season that Jordan Montgomery is your five, that's a pretty good rotation. And you could make the case that Garrett Cole has been their third best pitcher. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, 
obviously Nestor has been the best by far. And I mean, even Tyone has been absolutely incredible. And Montgomery's numbers have been incredible. So, I mean, they've all been great. The worst ERA on the staff is a three, two or a three, one, like that's, that's unbelievable. Se- and that's Severino. Yeah. And he's, and he has had moments where he's looked like his old self, where he was a, you know, Cy Young finalist. You mentioned something about the offense. I actually thought the offense was, I don't think they, I, let me backtrack. I just like had a little bit of a spasm. I don't. I didn't think that they got worse from the from last year. I thought that they stayed status quo, maybe a little bit better, because I thought a full season with Anthony Rizzo in the middle of the lineup, you know, lefty presence. I know he's not been great. You know, he's hitting like two fifteen, but he's had big hits. I, I I still like his presence there. For some reason, he just comes up big when they need it most. Uh, so I didn't think they got worse. It was to me the pitching was a little bit of a of a question mark because Severino hadn't really thrown starters innings uh, in a long time, considering he was dealing with injuries. I mean, Nestor, you look back at like Sean Chacon and Aaron Small and these guys who were flashes in the pan, and you weren't sure what you were going to get out of Nestor. I mean, Cole for the most part has been really, really, really good. I mean, you'd like him to pitch really well against really good teams like the Red Sox. Well, the Red Sox aren't really good, but we'll get to them in a second. And the Rays. But I I just, I thought this team was going to be the most maddening 91 win team of all time and exceedingly frustrating to the point where I would have rather to lock out. And I guess I'm going to have to eat that right now. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I thought they'd also win around, you know, 91, 95, somewhere in that range. Definitely not more than that. I didn't expect a lot from this team, to be honest. But, um, I mean, you just have to you have to look at a guy like Nestor, who, you know, when you're in the minors in the offseason, you don't really get to train and, you know, build up strength and become a better player because you're trying to just find money wherever you can. So him having the opportunity to go out there and work out, and it it's paid off. He's, his fastball is three miles per hour faster. He's clearly worked on his mechanics. Like, Little things like that. And, and I mean, even Severino, when you're off that long, yes, there are a lot of question marks about how your stuff might be, if you can last because of injury, but he's been healthy for a long time now. He just, we just weren't playing baseball. Like Severino was healthy. Right, for but the last it's also the months. workload thing, right? You never know how it's going to go until you actually do it. You have to do but it again. That's also why it's, it is a little early. For all right. we know, next, the next start, Severino could be hurt. It's so early. We're we're a little over a third into the season now. So, I mean, you really can't get too excited about guys like Severino or even guys like Tyone who have a big injury history like that because, I mean, you could play two-thirds of a season and get hurt, and that's not great. I don't want you out for 60 games. So, you know, it's obviously it's a little early. We have to really see what goes on with those guys. But, I mean, right now, you know, obviously we can enjoy this for what it is. Now, a lot of the Yankee detractors, and again, we're, we're not going to predict injuries because who the hell does that? That That's terrible, and you can't predict injuries. But a lot of the Yankees detractors talk about how this is smoke and mirrors based on the schedule. Would you give credence to that? Because, you know, they're 40 and 15. It's not like they're seven games up and they, you know, have played a, a weaker beginning part of the schedule. Like, they're 40 and 15, and they've, you know, they split with the Rays in the series where they've historically played really poorly 
against the Rays in Tropicana Field. They've handled the Red Sox, who have gotten hot lately, but they've handled the Red Sox. The Chicago White Sox were preseason World Series pick for some people. They handle them. Like, how much do we give credence to this early season, you know, quote-unquote early schedule thing? Because I, I think, based on projections, like, it wasn't as easy a schedule as everybody made it out to be. They've just handled them. Yeah, no, that, it's garbage because, uh, you know, in hockey, you can make that argument, but in baseball, it's baseball. Look at the Yankees played 500 baseball against the Orioles last year, and they're playing 500 baseball against them this year. So clearly that's garbage. And every test, every series that they hype up on the radio, they pass the test. So clearly this is a good team. And 40 and 15, you can run over this schedule 55 more times. They will not go 40 and 15. 40 and 15 is historical to start off a season like that. I don't care who you are playing. You could play the Baltimore Orioles 55 times. You go 40 and 15. That is historical. I mean, it's a long season. So, you know, the cold stretch is coming. But what I like about this team is it seems to have a toughness and a resilience to it. Right. We've seen teams lately. I mean, since 2009 that have had a glass jaw that. When they got down, it was the game was basically over, right? If they saw a pitcher they had never seen before, you knew that they were going to get like two hit and they were going to get shut out or score one run. This team seems to have a bit more fight to it than normal, and it's been exceedingly refreshing to watch. Uh, we mentioned the rotation that now you could argue that when the Mets are all right you know, and and totally healthy that they have the best rotation just because of the star power at the top. But one through five, the Yankees statistically have the best rotation in baseball right now. How important is it for them to sustain this a little bit, considering that the bullpen is a little banged up right now and the Yankees pitching staff needs to continue to give them innings so that the bullpen can kind of replenish itself, whether it's based on getting guys back healthy or getting reinforcements at the trade deadline. Well, I mean, you could just look at the last week and a half and how monster these outings have been. All these guys going seven, eight innings, except for Tyone last night. But even Tyone last night, it was, I was fine. You know, it was, he did his job. And the bullpen was so rested that it really didn't matter. But when you throw together seven straight, seven inning starts, what that does for your bullpen, especially when the Yankees are sort of banged up right now, it saved them. You got guys like Clay Holmes who could pitch whenever he wants now. All I mean, uh, Wandy, all these guys, I could just pitch whenever because the starters are going deep. Now, this is not sustainable. No rotation is going to throw consistent right. seven inning starts every single night. That's just unrealistic. But if you could go on stretches of you know five, six games here or there, yeah, that saves your bullpen. Guys like Jonathan Lewisgo who had to throw like 65 plus outings last year, that won't happen anymore because you don't need to do that. Our guys are going deep. You can save guys whenever you want. And that's why it's so valuable to have people that can go deep like the Yankees have had all season. Aaron Judge. I mean, what else can you say about the start? It's he's the MVP of the American League. It's not particularly close. There's not much to say about you know, his, his performance because it's been otherworldly, right? 
a lot has been made about the contract situation. He turned down the deal, the seven years, 210 in the offseason. Right now, to get him signed, what do you think it's going to take? Because I still believe, I still believe in my heart of hearts that the Yankees won't go above five or six years. I just don't think they're going to do it at a principle. So what do you think it's going to take? Or And do you think that he'll go, you know, seven years, eight years, given how this season's going right now, assuming it continues? So, I mean, the Yankees did offer him seven. So they, I think they are willing to go up there. The question is how high. Now, this is the first real stud to hit the free agency market because Trout really didn't hit it. Betts was, you know, not didn't really hit it either. Those and, guys, well, because he was traded, he was but, traded. Uh, but, uh, but they were all extensions. Like they were, they weren't the big free agency market where you know Trout's name's getting thrown around with different teams. So I don't know how much this guy can make. For all I know, he could be making $40 million over five. But I think the sweet spot, and I think it's what the Yankees are going to end up offering him, is around seven years, $36 million. Now, it's scary. We have no idea how this guy will age. We've never seen a player like this before in, the, in baseball. So that is a scary number to look at. But I really think that the tax will get increased at some point. I think, I think it will work out fine. But... I think the, the bigger problem is that if Judge does continue to play like this, there is a team on the West Coast, the San Francisco Giants, that have got a ridiculous amount of money, and Judge is from California. And that, well, to me, scares me. Does, do they scare you more than the New York Mets? Yes. Because the New York Mets have an owner who has more money than anybody else. That is true. But I don't think they're going to sign him. I don't. I, I think that would just be. It would almost just be stupid for the Mets because they don't Why? need that. They don't need that. They don't need it. And and look, at some point, yes, Steve Cohen has an un, a ridiculous amount of money, stupid amount of money. But at some point, that money is going to tally up because the tax gets more intense as you go on. If he has a five hundred million dollar payroll in three years, that turns into a billion. You can't sustain that. Even if you have $14 billion, you can't sustain that. So at some point, he's going to have to calm down a little bit. I think he still could spend another $100 million maybe. But do I think it's going to go to judge? No shot. No way. They still have to pay Jacob DeGrom. Let's remember that. This right. guy is going to be $45 to $50 million a year. He will because he's worth every penny of it. Guy never pitches poorly. So, Well, they may be able to get a little bit of a discount because he hasn't pitched. It, no, it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, like, like, look, if we if we talked about that, then Judge would then Judge would have accepted thirty one million because Judge has had a lot of injuries. No, but the difference is Degrom hasn't s stepped on the field yet. Judge has been putting together an MVP type season so far. He's got twenty one home runs and they're forty and fifteen. That is true, but if Degrom does come back when he's supposed to come back, and he could throw, you know. A little over half the season, and he and he shoves and gets it under one ERA, which I think we all know he probably will end up doing. You got to give him the money. If look, if Max Scherzer got forty three million dollars, Jacob Degrom's going to get fifty. If it, and look, Jacob Degrom's not going to get a, a six year deal. Yeah, I said Jacob Degrom's not getting a six year deal. He's older and he's had injuries. 
it's going to be a three-year deal, but it's going to be $50 million a year because he's, he's worth it. There's no other player that is worth that much money in all of sports. He is a guaranteed, just spectacular performance every time he steps on the field. Well, besides for like a Patrick Mahomes in the NFL. But anyway, we're, all, we're, all, we're off topic. Back to the Yankees. The turn in the punch bowl that is the Yankees is the outfield situation. Stanton just got back from injury. He's played well in the outfield. The turn in the punch bowl is the Joey Gallo, who had a nice night last night, got a couple of hits, was on base a couple of times, even hit the ball to the opposite field. That was nice for a change. But he stinks, and Aaron Hicks stinks. Okay? How much longer can they sustain these two guys being in the lineup because honestly it's it's brutal like at a certain point you know it it can't go on anymore and where would the reinforcements come from so personally i don't know what they do because gallo is going off the books anyways after the season so whatever you can dump him and move on but a guy like hicks who still has i think now five years left on this contract, I, I, who would want that? Like, I don't know what they're supposed to do with him. And he's a baby. He's always been a child and he's not going to go to the minors. So I, I, I honestly, if it was up to me, I just wouldn't play them. Like I would never want to see Gallo and Hicks in the same lineup because you don't have to do that. There's a, we have five infielders. You don't need to see the two of them in the same lineup at the same time. It's ridiculous when they are. They're both the same exact hitter. Yes, they walk, they get on base, but they can't hit a beach ball. It's it's horrible. And you can put guys like Tim LaCastro, who can at least run and play a perfect field. That's another thing. They have not played perfect fields this year. Gallo is traditionally a good fielder, but he hasn't yeah. played well on the field because he, I think he, he hasn't played well. Yeah. He, so his. his Lack of abilities at the plate right now, I think, are affecting his ability to field. And even Hicks has been a solid fielder in his day, too. But he's just brutal. I, Which one's worse of the two, if you had to pick? For sure, Aaron Hicks. For sure, Aaron Hicks. I think so, too. Because Aaron Hicks has changed his mindset because he's played in Yankee Stadium and because he had success for one season. But that's ridiculous. You don't change the type of player you are. At least I give Gallo a lot of credit. His his whole shtick has worked in the past. He's sticking with it. Fair. Fair enough. Aaron Hicks, you were a gap-to-gap hitter. What happened to that? Why do I see golf swings? And I know his, his wife is Tiger Woods' um, like sister or whatever. I don't want to see golf swings on a baseball field. Save that for golf. He's a big golfer, but don't bring it to the baseball field. He's... These swings that he takes, it's like he's trying to hit the ball 500 feet. Why can't he poke one to the left side? Poke one to the right side? Do whatever. I just hit the ball. He takes these, like, loopy swings that just look so massive with two strike counts, and it just makes no sense to me. And Aaron Hicks was never that guy. Aaron Hicks was the gap-to-gap hitter that everyone loved, and he would get on base. He was a good base runner also and a good fielder. I'm not really sure what happened with him. Gallo, different story. I, I mean, look, it could just be a struggle. Maybe the game's caught up to him. I have no idea. But Aaron Hicks, just it's the mindset change that really kills me as like a fan to watch. Trade deadline, you can only pick one, a bullpen arm or an outfielder. What are you picking? 
it really depends because if the bullpen, I know Chad all things being equal, all things being equal, you can, you can get equal value for an outfielder in terms of giving up the prospects, you know, that, that, you know, an outfielder that's equal to the, you know, valuable uh, type of reliever, like same caliber of player, just different positions. Which one are you picking? I think I would choose outfielder. And that's only because I would too. I just I, like the relievers. We have studs like starting pitchers that are in the minors right now that can easily come up. I mean, look, Clark Schmidt was shoving and he's sitting in the minors. So, and I mean, Ron Marinaccio, whatever the guy pitched last night looked great. So we have arms. I'm not worried about it. And to be honest, Chad Green, he kind of scares me sometimes. He throws a 95-mile-an-hour fastball right down the middle. It's a little scary. Yeah, we don't like that. That generally gets sent over the seats. but exactly. And it's happened a lot lately. So, I mean, look, yes, he's a huge arm for us. He's been our guy for the last four years. But it's really not going to kill us. I think Chapman should come back to form, I think, with a little bit of confidence once he gets back. But overall, the bullpen has just been so good that, like, I don't see a reason to give up prospects to go get an arm. I'd rather give up prospects to get a young outfielder, maybe, you know, some maybe even a guy in the minors just set us up for later. Because, I mean, even right now, it's not the end of the world to have Hicks or Gallo in the lineup because they're one it hitter. It just can't be both. It just can't be both. Amount of time. Exa- exactly. It can't be both. And to be honest, in the playoffs, it shouldn't be both. You have five infielders. Right. You don't need to play both. Right. So there's a solution to it. The other turn in the punch ball potentially is is Chapman because the roller coaster continues. But we'll see. I mean, his contract's coming up. I'm not sure what they're going to do there. Uh, I'm not sure what the closer market's going to look like at the trade deadline. So we shall see. I mean, the Yankees have a, a nice lead right now in the division. Uh, they're playing really good baseball. If you had to pick a threat, the biggest threat to them in the division, who would it be? I mean, it's it's definitely Toronto. I mean, I think I think personally, I think Tampa has kind of lost their stride. I think they've just I think that juice has just run out. I think Toronto is still ridiculously dangerous. And I mean, look, if some of their hitters who haven't been that good this year get hot and the pitching gets just a little bit better, they're right back. You know, like they're right there. One one bad four game series and boom, they're three games back, and that is not a team you'd want to be playing around with because they are dangerous. They are really dangerous. That lineup is sick. It's better than ours, even though ours has played better this year. That lineup is better than ours. It is fantastic. One through nine, awesome. So definitely Toronto, biggest threat. There's something about the Rays, man, that I just can't shake. Maybe it's been like the last five years of them winning the division, them beating us in the playoffs, them embarrassing us late in the season. I just can't shake them. The The Red Sox aren't a threat to you. No? Nah, they're just, you know, it's, they're just too far back at this point. Like 11 and a half, that's a lot. And you know what? Yes, you can make the argument the Yankees were also 10 and a half games back last year, but the Yankees just weren't playing well more like they had the talent. The Red Sox don't really have the talent offensively for sure, but the pitching and the bullpen, it's just not, you know, they've been hot lately though. They've been hot, but they've also played bad teams. Like like, you can use the same thing. They have played bad teams. So when they play us or they play 
Tampa or they play Toronto, when they've been getting smacked around all year by those teams, if they play and they get smacked and continually get smacked around, then they're irrelevant. And and look, you know what? Being this far back in the division, I don't know how you're supposed to get back in. Like you still have to go over two more teams. It's a lot. Right. Right. I mean, the baseball basically wants to eventually have everybody play playoff games. So whatever. I mean, who the hell knows? I want to switch gears for a second. So we're both pretty confident about the Yankees. On a scale of 1 to 10, your confidence level is? I would say around a 9, yeah. Wow. I'd say a 9. I'm still like a 7.7 only because it's hard for me to shake my preseason skepticism. But, hey, you know, I'm enjoying the ride so far. I want to switch gears because I know you're a hockey guy, right? You've got the Islanders jerseys hung up in the background. First things first, because we'll get to your Islanders in a second, who had an interesting start to their offseason. The Rangers. Rangers, Tampa Bay Lightning. Rangers up 2-0. It's now 2-2. What do you make of this series? Do you think it's just a seven-game series that each team wins on its home ice? Like, what are you saying from an outsider's perspective? So, I mean, look, I'm shocked that it's even – been this entertaining I, I really thought Tampa would run away with this but that's the magic of Igor Shesterkin I mean this guy is just unbelievable and you could see it through games one and two he won those games for them no one else won it for them it was well game one they dominated they just they were scoring like crazy and Vasilevsky they did. had a bad game but Igor was just I think they still got outshot in game one I'm pretty sure. Like Igor has just been he he's been awesome. Incredible. He's been incredible. Like, this kid's all like he's just so like as a Islander fan and I have a young Russian goalie, his best friend, but watching Shesterkin play is I mean it's it's incredible. The guy is just otherworldly. He's so flexible and he reads the game really well. But um I mean look, the Rangers have had timely performances by guys like Mika and Panarin. Like they have played very well in games that they needed to win. They needed to win at least one of those games at the garden. And you know what? They got two. So, and I mean, look, Tampa winning the next two at home. It doesn't really surprise me. I mean, this is still the best team in the league, Tampa, as much as people want to say Florida is or whatever, Tampa's won the cup two straight years. And that team has barely changed. So they're still the best team in the world, but for the next couple games, I mean, look, if Tampa wins game five, you could pretty much call it it's going to be over in game six. But yep. if the Rangers can win game five, I mean, hell, we'll go, we're going seven. I really think we're going to go seven. And in game seven, I cannot tell you who could win that game because with, with guys like Igor and Vasilevsky, you just one of them is going to pop off. And these two offenses also are unbelievable. So you really just can't. Well, the Rangers five on five offense has been brutal recently up, you know, even going back to game two after the the second, you know, the first two periods from the third period of game two on their five on five offense has been, has been pretty anemic and, and it's kind of a problem right now. And they're getting outshot like crazy. Now, again, you know, quality of shots, doesn't is more important, I should say, than the number of shots as the Rangers have, you know, showed us throughout the entire postseason because they get shot outshot all the time. But you'd like to see them play better, a little bit better, especially five on five, because their power play has been really good, and for the most part, their penalty kill has been really good. Just the five on five is a problem. Uh, I, game three is is gonna hurt. 
I, I have this weird feeling that game three is going to hurt. Like you had a chance to really, really end it right there. And that third period that they played in game three, if they don't win this series, that's going to be the one that's just going to be, it, it's going to be hard to stomach. But hey, I mean, you're, you're 2-2 two -two with home ice advantage against two-time defending champs. Like you got to feel pretty good about that. All things considered, if you're looking at it at the macro level, but it's going to be really hard to forget about game three, uh, assuming the series doesn't go the Rangers way, but I, I'm still cautiously optimistic, but it's going to be stressful. Uh, really, really stressful. I uh, wanted it. One last thing before I let you go, the Islanders who are in this position kind of last year, right? Eastern conference finals last two years, Eastern conference finals against these Tampa Bay lightning. Again, one was bubble season, whatever they were there. Had a nice couple, I think, four-year run with Coach Barry Trotz, who won a cup with the Capitals. Comes to the Islanders, makes them super relevant. They fired him in the offseason. Why? The only reason why is it's just Lou Lamorello. I mean, he's one of those guys that can either really win you a cup as a GM or can ruin a franchise. He really is. And we saw the great, the good sides of Lou for the first, you know, three, four years, the moves were pretty good. I, honestly, I'd say three years because last year, some questionable decisions that have really haunted us a little bit, but those first three years, you could see like the way he creates a team and the culture that he has, you can see the winning and we really thought we can get there to, to win a Stanley cup eventually. But Lou has an ego like a lot of GMs do. He's got a very big ego and he thought that all this was him when really at the end of the day, it was probably a 60, 40 split, I'd say, but 60% to Barry Trotz. Barry Trotz was the guy who created the defensive system that brought us from last in the NHL to first in goals against. But at the end of the day, I think the move was a little premature, but was it such a horrible move? I don't think so, especially for the person who they ended up hiring. Lane Lambert is awesome. A lot of people don't know him. If you're not an Islander fan or a Capital fan, you don't really know who Lane Lambert is, but Lane Lambert is amazing. He is the brains behind any sort of offense that goes on in the Barry Trot system. And then I could talk about Ovechkin. He, he, he was, co he was um, under coaching of Lane Lambert for like four years. Some of the best four years of his career were under coaching of Barry Trotz and Lane Lambert. And Lane Lambert loves younger players. Uh, just a, an example, Kiefer Bellows, who was a really good young player, young American player, his, the most time on ice that he had in a game was a game that was head coached by Lane Lambert. Not Barry Trotz, but Lane Lambert. So I understand the move to go to Lane Lambert. And I think that was the plan from the start. I don't think they cared about looking at Tortorello or, you know, now Bruce Cassidy's on the market, but all those, I didn't think they cared. I think well, they I don't think you can justify firing Barry Trotz and hiring John Tortorella. Well, yes, like, that's that, a little that crazy. Makes, that's a yeah, step it makes down. no sense. Yeah. It was just, it makes no sense, but the direction that they're going in, I get it. They have a lot of young players that they want to play. And look, as a fan, I could not stand watching this whole season Josh Bailey on the ice when Kiefer Bellows is sitting on the bench. That is not right. 
And that's the Barry Trot system. It can work and it has worked. And look, I'd be kidding if I'd be lying if I said it didn't work. It brought us to two straight Eastern Conference finals. A team of a bunch of washed up players made it to the Eastern Conference finals two years in a row. So clearly it works at some point, but those players have aged. Josh Bailey has aged since 2019 or 2020. We need to move on. We have pieces that are in place to make the team better. And if Trotz isn't going to play him, he's not the guy. But yes, so, I think it was a little premature. If he had another bad season, yes, uh, understandably fired, but not after one bad season. A so you're premature. saying that Barry Trotz has a little Tom Thibodeau in him? Yes. Oh, for sure. It's the ex- it's the exact same coach. If you really want to like compare someone. Oh, well, that that that's not great. If you're uh, if you're uh, trying to vouch for Barry Trotz, because you know my feelings on on year two Tibbs and beyond. Um, all right, last last question. The Colorado Avalanche have been absolute world beaters. Um, they just beat up on the Edmonton Oilers in a very entertaining sweep, but it was a sweep. Do either of the Lightning or the Rangers, can they make it a really entertaining series or is Colorado going to walk? I mean, it's going to be entertaining no matter what. Colorado is great, but they're a little bit fraudulent. And now, yes, they have the least amount of losses in NHL history going into a Stanley Cup final. But the Western Conference is very weak. And it's people have to realize that. It's been like that for a long time. The East is just is is as fast as Colorado is, but also way better defensively. And you look at the goalies on the Eastern Conference side right now, you have the two best goalies in the world going at it. So I'm not really sure how Colorado would go against the Rangers or Tampa, but look, maybe Colorado makes the Rangers in Tampa play a little looser. And you got a guy like Nathan McKinnon, and Kale McCarr, you can lose games like that if you're playing too loose and let those guys get through. But otherwise, I think that series, no matter who's in it, is going to be awesome. At least six games for sure. These two, these three teams that are left are too good to not go deep in a series. So I'm excited, honestly, for that series. The Eastern Conference Finals has been great, but that series is going to be awesome. And I love the national coverage that the NHL has been getting. They're killing it in with the ratings and it's a growing sport. I love it. And, you know, just happy hockey's in a good place now. Goaltending, you can argue that a hot goalie and a top-notch goalie is the most important position in all of professional sports. On the same level as, uh, when it comes to playoff hockey, it's the same level as a quarterback in the NFL. So I know Vegas has Colorado as a big favorite or a sizable favorite. I don't see it that way. I actually think that it's going to be, you know, close to a coin flip. But you mentioned it. You mentioned it just now. This playoffs for the NHL has been incredible. And hockey's having a major come up. The TNT deal is going swimmingly well. You know, Biz, Biz Nasty, our guy from Barstool Sports, Paul Bissonette is a star on TNT. Uh, the ESPN broadcast, Steve Levy does a, a solid job. Sean McDonough does a solid job calling games. Like, this is as good as it's been for the NHL in since the Gretzky years, the prime Gretzky years. And 
Good for the NHL. It's an awesome product. I actually think it's my second favorite sport to watch now. And uh, yeah, we're uh, we're in it. I'm I'm very very emotionally invested in this Rangers thing right now. So I'm a little nervous. Andrew, it was good to talk to you, bud. Always a pleasure. Uh, let's go Yankees. I know if the Rangers win the Stanley Cup, it it'll hurt you a little bit, but maybe not so much. Uh, I appreciate you coming on. We'll speak soon. Thanks so much again. Awesome. Thank you, man. Thanks again to recurring guest, Mr. Andrew Sender, for coming on to talk about the Yankees, to talk about the NHL playoffs. That's episode 160 for the love of the game. Let's go, Rangers. Take us out, Kanye. I just keep on loving you, baby. And there's no one else I know can take your place. Please. No more parties in that lane. Please, baby, no more parties in that lane. Uh. No more parties in LA. Please, baby, no more parties in LA. Uh, no more parties in LA. Please, baby, no more parties in LA. Uh. Let me tell you, I'm out here from a very far away place. Oh, a chance to be a star. Nowhere seems to be too far. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.